Welcome to Roots and Ruminants, your podcast for creative and innovative use of farm, pasture, and rangeland. We're going back to the basics of raising and grazing livestock, growing your own forage, and practical land use. All right, welcome back to another episode of Roots and Ruminants podcast. Uh, I'm Justin Frickty, and we got it once again, co-host Jared Knock, and we're on to episode eight, okay? And uh, I swear every time we line one of these up, they get better and better, and a response from our listeners continues to get better, faster, quicker, more downloads. So thanks once again for listening to this. This is going to be a treat, okay? This is probably going to encompass a lot of the things that we've talked about with previous guests as far as raising livestock on the land, putting some practical uses in place with those livestock to better the soil. And uh, today we've got Brian and Jamie Johnson from Frankfurt, South Dakota. And uh, if you want to talk about a family operation that's done those things well and done them um, with soil health at the forefront of their focus of raising cattle, uh, crops, and a family, this is probably it. So Jared and I have, uh, yeah, we've had this one in the back of our minds to get on the schedule for a long time and are excited to have you guys here. Okay, so like anything, or like all of our other episodes, we don't want to spend a lot of time talking. We want to hear your story. So, um, so we want to, yeah. Today we're live here from Carpenter, South That's Dakota. That's new. From Dakota Vision Ag Global yep. Headquarters uh, today, kind of halfway point. Um, want to have a chance for Brian and Jamie to do a little bit of introduction, talk us a, a high-level view of their operation, and, and talk a little bit about, uh, you know, kind of, how they've got started in a soil health journey that's led us to this point, and then we'll talk about a lot of those details. So, Brian, Jamie, have at it. Go ahead. You're the talker. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Brian and I farm at Frankfurt, South Dakota, and we have overview of our family. We have four children, um, 15-year-old to a 5-year-old, and we farm with Brian's parents, Alan and Mickey, and they're kind of semi-retirement pretty much. As retired as a farmer ever gets. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we are, like Jared said, very soil health focused on our farm. And it's really kind of the mantra that we have is everything needs to come full circle and improve the land. Um, Whatever we're raising or grazing needs to be coming back full circle. So... We'll start out. My my great grandfather came over from Sweden back in 1906. So, and he fortunately picked a very good spot for the world to set roots down. Do you ever wonder how they did that back then? I just oh, look, it. there's a little stream. That's yeah, where we're going to settle. That probably yeah, did it. Yeah. Like, because there was no soil maps. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, and he picked a very good spot on the soil thank map. Thank you. So, yeah, <laughs> we're very grateful <laughs> there, you. especially this year. But uh, we raise, you know, corn, beans, wheat, oats, and barley for forage, alfalfa. We got hundred cows and calves, and got some a lot of pasture. We run cattle on, and it's grass for a reason. Yep. So that's yep. the big thing we always go back to is how many years ago people were tearing up grass for corn, and we no, I, that's not how we operate. So we have some of those conversations with people already now, and sometimes it's ten, twenty, thirty years about. Ooh, maybe we're a little too far. How do we get this back? What do mm-hmm. we do with these acres and that kind of thing? You know, it yep. just yeah. it happens, right? When yep. people were doing that, we were planning CRP. <laughs> we were. Yeah. yeah. That's probably yes. how long a yep. lot of those areas have been planted back. Yep. 11 years ago is when we first started planting CRP. Mm-hmm. Sure. And that was right before the corn got crazy. Yep. Yep. So there's a, uh, 
when I go, when I go to your guys' place and I, I travel around looking at it, you, you've got really your sensitive areas, waterways, um, which are, you know, we're CRP. Now they're a forage source for you as well as a habitat, um, mm-hmm. opportunity. You've got, uh, pasture, some of pasture you've, you've created, you've actually expanded a little bit or repartitioned off to make sure that they're, you know, viable economic units to run livestock on. And then you've got some really, really high production fields, right? And so, uh, one of the things I think is great about your guys' stories you talked about is that we're talking about soil health, and we're also talking about it with with Brian, who's really elevating, and Brian and Jamie are both elevating their expectations for yield at the very, very top, right? Entering into yield contests and, and placing in South Dakota, you know, yield contests for soybeans and things like that, right, Brian? Yeah, that's, it's been a few years, but okay. yeah, that was, we've got some, like, we'll go back to the, you know, great soil that we have on our operation. It's we, we're very blessed in that fashion. So the productive ground, we definitely can push along mm-hmm. if we need to, but it's managing the marginal acres as well. And so that's where the grass and the CRP and the, and the pasture ground is really, <clears throat> excuse me, been a asset to us because we, we know where we can uh, grow crops and where we shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think some of that comes back to just um, best use, best land use for the land that you have you know, really focusing on, you know, you keep planting that low spot and that alkali and every year nothing grows and every year you rip Mm -hmm. it up and every year you plant it back and it's not the best use of that land, right? And you're, you're losing money on it or whatever it may be, but we really try and focus on, you know, acre by acre management and what's the best use of every single acre on our farm. When did you start making that shift? It was it, was it you, Brian? that was making that shift and saying, you know what, if we got this corner, this, it's a pothole, it's got saline issues. Let's fix that thing. Let's put it into permanent. Growth. Was it you or was it your dad or what, how did that transition happen? It was a combination of things. My dad, he switched us over to no-till back in 86 okay. after talking to Dwayne Beck, who's yeah. still yeah. at the Redfield Research Farm. So oh, yeah. you know, the godfather of no-till in South Dakota. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. it. That was that was the big step there. Um, I came back in 04 from Brookings and had a few good years there, and then it got wet in 2009. And we realized that these areas, these waterways that we were really struggling with, and we didn't couldn't get them planted. You'd fight with them all year long. And so we knew we had to do something different. And I think it was 2010 when we enrolled a bunch of them in a CRP. It was, you know, take out... Take the crap out. Yep. You know, get yep. it out of there. Yep. And all of a sudden our fields became much more productive and they were so much easier in the spring to plant because you didn't have those wet spots anymore. Sure. When it was ready, it was ready. Yep. And yep. it didn't yep. didn't even have to worry about it. It was, it was zero stress. And so you know, our district conservation at the time was, you know, Shane Jordan, he made great recommendations for us over the years. Great asset. I think he's one of the best around. He's not in that role anymore. He's a resource conservationist, something to that effect. Sure yeah. Yeah. He got promoted, you know, because yeah. he's doing a good job. <laughs> <laughs> that happens. So they, you get a good one, they leave. <laughs> but, uh, and I'm sure there was a bird on my shoulder, maybe mainly the wife telling me that she was sick of looking at those wet spots. And so it was, it was the right move at the time. And then I think back here a couple weeks ago, we were coming home and, she made the comment as we were just driving that last half mile. She goes, you know, the best part about coming home is I see these grass waterways every time. Yeah. It's very not, I mean, it's very unique, I guess. You don't see that 
in some areas you do, but where it's high farm acres, it's, you don't see it. People plant right through them, struggle with them. Right. You know, and I guess that's just something that I always take pride in because where I grew up in Nebraska, we had what we had waterways because we had a lot more diverse, um, terrain where we had a lot more hills than what we have here. And so there, we did have waterways in our fields. Um, so that's always kind of like my thing, I guess, (laughs) just to have, you know, and it helps with the erosion and all the things, like all these huge rain events that we had this last couple of weeks, you know, couple days, you know, keeps that soil in place, um, helps utilize that water better and just looks a lot better too. It's a great hunting habitat. We've got some friends that come and hunt and I mean, that's where the birds are at. That's where the deer's at and they know it. Sure. Right. So how do you, in the, in this day and age where equipment's not going to get smaller, fields aren't getting smaller for the person that's like, this is ridiculous. I'm going to farm fence line to fence line. and I don't want to stop for a waterway or have to spray around a grass patch. What's, what's the argument back to them to justify that? You're not making money on those acres. I mean, it's really comes back to, and I'll, I'll preach this up and down. I just really think people don't know their break evens and they don't know their numbers on their farm. And they don't realize if you really sat down and, and work that number out, what, what you're losing and those marginal acres, you'll go around it. If you knew that you could make money. I mean, we've had yield maps for a couple of decades now. Yep. If you're not doing anything with them, they have zero value. Right. Yeah, they're pretty colors, but you know those reds on the map? Those are the acres that you're supposed to figure out what to do something else Different. with. Yeah. yeah. Information Change. that you record and don't analyze or you know make decisions based off of is really a futile exercise. Yeah. Exactly. So in row clutches and automatic shutoffs and sprayer and stuff should make it conceptually easier, right, Brian? Um, in theory, yes. Um but then you've got more electronics yes. that can go wrong. True. We don't have those on our planter because we've got mostly square fields yep. and we've only got a 40 foot planter and I can shut off half of it at a time. So the break even there, of, you know, cost per row when we upgrade, when we changed our planter here, how many years ago we didn't, we didn't do that. Okay. Just our operation. Other yep. guys, obviously it, it makes sense, but it's got to work for your, your operation. You got to figure out if that, cost is going to actually yield you more yeah so i feel like you know back in the day when you were out there with a narrow front tractor you know you you wanted to make sure you didn't you know bust up your and have washouts in your field because you would literally tear the front end off of your narrow yeah. front tractor if yep. you're out there right yep. then things got bigger um where it was way easier just to go straight all the way through and now things are actually big and still getting bigger, but more precise, right? So there's a technology I think is actually out there to say, yeah, it's a lot easier to keep that grass waterway in if we have automatic shutoffs on our sprayer so that we can maybe just drive through, but it just shuts off in between. And I think people don't give enough credit to like you establish, you know, a, especially like a cool season, uh, introduced aggressive waterway species and how well they'll recover. If you do kind of get through it a little bit, you know, with some roundup, it'll actually recover and fill itself in fairly decent as long as you keep the bulk of it there. Yep, yep. And one of the things, when, when we set up our grass acres in those fields was I knew how many feet I needed to be away so that my GPS lines for my planter, I, I wasn't having any overlap. Oh. You know, it's all set up so that when I plant, it's Very nice. to the edge of the row. Yep. Got so it. I'm not 
having 10 or 12 rows overlapping or whatever it yep. is. So that, in my mind, that justified it because I wasn't wasting anything and everything mm-hmm. was still fairly uniform and square. Yep. But we took those salinity yep. acres out and they're gone. Yeah. So just to clarify, so you went through and said in either eight or 16 row increments and said, okay, I need this many 16 row passes. And then here's where I get to a partial. That's where I'm scoring it up. Yep. It right. was, it was 40 foot swath when we, when we set it up, for example, this one corner of the field and it, it was 40 foot increments. And I went past the salinity problem because never stop short. You go, you got to go past. Right. And that's where I knew then I was okay. Every, so it was a couple hundred feet, give or take. I think the other thing to point out for a, of a lot of folks who are familiar with CRP and say, you know, and I think we can all criticize CRP for not allowing the land to be used properly, right? Grazed, you know, in appropriate manners often enough and that kind of thing. But the, the program we've I've seen, we've all seen CRP be used before and say, farmer X is retiring. They have 700 acres. The year they retire, 700 acres go into CRP, right? Where it's like, oh, I didn't want to deal with deciding which of my 12 neighbors uh, to rent this land out to. So I just chose none of them and then went to the government. All right. So th- those are, and I think those aren't even really great habitat, right? Because if you don't have any water development in the middle of a section of brum grass or any kind of grass, there's no wildlife there, right? If there's no water, there's no wildlife. Yep. You did very much smaller chunks of CRP in and amongst working lands. So, so you've probably got some fields where on a quarter there was 10 acres, 15 acres into CRP, just in the strategic areas. Yep. Right? Anywhere from four to, I want to say, 24. Yes. So a whole different application of the program than, uh, oh, here's two quarters, put them in a CRP. Yeah. Yeah, we so didn't. point that out. Didn't do the big chunks, but that's partly because... We're, we've got some good soils, and so we didn't need to. Right? Yep. And there's still some spots where we probably should do more, but that's where I'm using the forage barley and mm-hmm. should plant some grass in there. But part of me thinks that, well, or I could just fence it, change the fence, and graze more cows because sure. that'd make the wife happy. So. <laughs> So happy, let's ta- happy let's wife, about, happy life. Let's talk about cows. Let's, tell, let's talk about the cow herd and how that's evolved in the last uh, 10 years or so, Brian. James. Well, we, my dad had you know, started with Herefords way back in the day, and then we had eventually changed it over to uh, Black Angus. And so I started my herd back in 04. So when we were in Pier as interns, I got the phone call from dad my last semester of college. And he yeah, said, I hey, there's 20-some heifers coming through Sale Barn. You want to buy them? I said, sure. Came home. There they were. Right. Yep. And then when we got married, we bought 15 pairs that we brought from Nebraska for my my operation. Okay. So that was the start of our herd. Now yep. we're up to 100, and uh, we've slowly improved the quality here, especially once you got us at our Yeah. Hired an AI Mr. Beard, not. Thank wow. you. <laughs> I go helped. up and do a little artificial insemination. It helps to know people. Yeah. Yeah. We can talk about semen because this is roots and ruminants. So if we need to talk about, uh, we don't want to talk no. about semen. We'll get flagged for something probably. Talk about <laughs> semen too much in or, or we'll get more downloads. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know if it'll be the target audience. But yep. anyway. Yeah. So we so we, definitely improved the quality of the herd. Our heifer, heifer quality is really improving over the last few years. And uh, just drove through the pasture this morning. It's like, yep, and just start jotting some numbers down. Nice. Getting that time of year. But yeah. It's fun. Changing. Yeah. Yep. Growing a little here. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's good. good. Finally cooled off too. Yeah, imagine that. So okay, so as far as the cattle operation goes, do you manage that in the same with the same focus that you have on your farm ground? As far as we want to make sure that this is a healthy ecosystem, 
Uh, you mentioned your pastures are your poorer soils. They're probably rolling, probably have some creeks. Rocks. Yeah, rocks, rocks. All that stuff, okay? Yep. Your philosophical look at your fields and your philosophical look at your cattle herd, what are those? How are those similar? How do they differ? I feel like they're, it's getting there. Okay. Right? Like, so Brian started as a farmer. <laughs> I brought a little cattle knowledge, not very much. Um, but we're getting there. We're trying to get in where getting like, to the, uh, the point of uh, thinking as thinking of the cattle side of the operation as equal to importance of okay. the crop or the, the sure. cash crop side of the operation, trying to meld the two together. Try, you know, it is, I'd say, Brian, we're getting there. We're getting to where we, you're thinking more of how the cattle can improve the working lands on the crop side and rotational mm-hmm. grazing through the pastures, um, how we've set up our waters. We've done a lot of improvements in the last, I'd say, five years to fencing and water management and things like that for the cattle herd. And it's, it is a hard shift of thinking when you're not raised like in a heavily dominant like cattle industry focused operation Mm -hmm. where it was just like a side gig right you just had cattle just because you had these acres that you couldn't farm yeah right like that's usually in this neck of the woods that's that's kind of how cattle cow calf operations work yeah especially in our part of the world in spain county where it's crop ground yeah i mean there's guys getting out of cattle to plant crops yeah there's hardly any people left it's it's I, getting fewer feel, and fewer yeah. but i mean the people that are doing it are the diehards and they're changing how they're managing it to yeah. make it successful okay but if i feel like we're it's taken us a few years like i feel like we've we've always been on the top of our game on the crop end because that's brian's dad's specialty was i mean that's what he did he raised great crops and that's what brian does and we're we're trying to get that game on on the cattle side too like we're Still don't think we're probably considered ranchers. We're still well, farmers, no. but, <laughs> but but there's always using, room for improvement. Yeah, Absolutely. and the cattle are definitely a tool in um, on both sides of the operation. Yeah, yeah. The the crop and and the pasture side. It's it's finding that balance to say, okay, we're going to have some cows. How many should we have? And and how how many do we have to maximize not only the the pasture acres that we have, or what's the what's the plus side or downside to adding onto this pasture a little bit, right? Or if this eighty, you know, only thirty five acres can be farmed, you know, and and is it worth farming thirty five acres and leaving the other forty five as nothing, or do you put the entire eighty into pasture, right? You know, what's the best solution? So it's kind of ebbs and flows, and then how much winter grazing, how much corn stock grazing and cover crop grazing is available uh, to be able to maximize that as well. And so I, I know some people that maybe in this part of the world have too many cow-calf, you know, pairs for that kind of balance to where maybe they're losing a little bit of revenue side from what they could be cash cropping potentially. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then all the way the other way around where all of a sudden people are, are so completely against having livestock around that you can drive by and see the missed opportunities. Right. 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 Big chunk of unusable grass is now turned into nothing but brome grass and no program. It just sits there and right. Right. So one of the things we did, it's been a couple of years now, it was in 19, we installed some oh, an artesian well and buried a bunch of pipeline for water tanks. And they're set up on the corners of our main pastures as well as on the corners of some of our cropland. So I just opened and, opened and shut some gates and in they walk, away they go. 
So it's really easy to move them. It's all in the main headquarters. There's 300 and some acres of grass there. Uh, three different main summer paddocks, and then one is the calving pasture, and then two small fields. And those are the ones, those crop fields are the ones where we've raised some cool season forages followed by cover crops that gave us the option of grazing when it got dry. We didn't have any there this year. Probably should have, but, you know, yep. you can't outguess Mother Nature. <laughs> but we don't stock our pears too heavy either. Um, we try and really... I have enough grass for the cut the pears that I have, and if we get grazing in the fall, then that's just extra, and I can pull them off the grass sooner. But when we move them through each of those paddocks, it's kind of a twenty-one day run, yeah. and then we'll I'll move them over. And so we're just in a couple of weeks here. We'll go back to a pasture that we were we grazed in early June, and it's come back pretty good, especially now we had two inches of rain here last week of August, but that only yeah. gives us like seven and a half for the year. Yeah. You know, we only had <laughs> yeah. we only had five the first half year. It's been hot and dry, just like everybody else. But it's the grass. It's amazing. It'll just bam, fire right back as soon as you get a rain. And so there's we only took you know we didn't overgraze it. Took about half and moved them off. And so there's there's a lot of forage there left for them. And by the time they're done there, we'll we'll have some corn stalks and have some cover crop acres for them as well. Let's, there's another kind of root that I want to talk about because I was up, up at your guys' place this summer um, during a tour. Talk about tree planting 2021 at the Johnson Farms. I and That's funny. Oh, I just went out and did a check this morning. I don't get out there as much as Leo, our ten, almost 10-year-old. He's been the main tree man this summer, watering constantly, never-ending. We should have kept track of how many gallons he actually went through this year. Good thing it's well water and it's free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. New seeding trees take a little more than seven and a half inches of moisture yes. in a year. Yes, this was Sounds not good. the year to try that, yeah. especially 2,300 trees. Yes. So trees. In, in defense, I will say yes. Jamie has been wanting this project done for 15 years, and you decided we're going to do it this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the, how it worked out. Yeah. So for the men listening, you should always listen to your wife much sooner. This is your punishment for saying no 14 <laughs> yes. times in a row, Brian? Is that yes, right? yes. One of the punishments. <laughs> okay, so, so how's the count look? Um, it, it doesn't look great. <laughs> but I, when I was looking the, this morning, because I went, we finally got uh, the deciduous trees staked and wrapped because the deer were starting to hit on them pretty hard on the, the new trees right by the house. And so that got done actually when we were in Nashville a couple of weeks ago. Um, the kids did it with grandma and grandpa and, um, the pine looked pretty bad. This and the, the shrubs are phenomenal. Yeah. The shrubs look really good. Okay. The cedar trees that all looked, I kept telling Leo, just keep watering them. Even if you think they're dead, don't skip over them. Just water it. And there's, I saw a lot of new growth on cedar trees this morning okay. when I was out yeah. checking them. Yeah. So, and we're five um, days from our rain now so i think everything just really yeah and he's natural water i mean yep. he's been yep. watering Seems. once a week like a gallon gallon, a gallon on every okay. tree every week once a week but you just can't keep up when it's a dry. yeah so and the other thing that we did that probably is creating moisture issues is we didn't all we did in our pasture around our calving pasture was we just tilled strips we did not put black plastic down we did not till and tons and tons and make lots of black dirt because I didn't want the weeds. I didn't want uh, that black plastic is just not very 
quote unquote green. <laughs> it is, um, and it's not plastic. I guess it's fabric of yeah. whatever it is. It's just it's Seems terrible. Like plastic to me when I yes. used it. Yes, <laughs> and it's like yeah. I don't think it's made of cotton. No, no, it's, it's very. It doesn't biodegrade. It, it um, has girdling issues when your trees get bigger that you have to. It's a maintenance thing also. So we decided in the pasture that we are just going to till a foot strip, just enough for the tree planter to get in and bury trees, and then that's it. So there's still a lot of sod around those trees, and so I'm sure that has a lot to do with the moisture issues out there. But the trees that we planted on the other side of the road by the house, that that was a renovation project through Equip, and so it had to be completely ripped up old trees like there was no way around it was just going to be a weedy mess and so we did put the fabric down on that and those trees look pretty good i would say they're they're similar i mean it they may be a little better there but and I, cause I don't know if the sod took out a whole lot of moisture because there's not a lot of excess when you only have five yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. when the grass but, is brown i'm not sure how much moisture can somehow yeah. yeah so and, and the reason we did that is just because i didn't like tilling up when we did planted new trees when we first got ago. married, yeah. yep, at the other house. Made four score, seven years ago, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we planted new trees up there, and it was, you know, eight-foot-wide strip, and I just, I didn't really like tilling up sod. Yeah. And so we thought, you know, we're going to do something different here. And so I talked to one of our friends from Caputa, South Dakota, and he no-tilled them in. And like, I don't know if we'll do that. <laughs> but I can, I got a tiller that we... A garden tiller. garden tiller that we used to use for my mom's garden. And I took a bunch of the shanks off, so it was only like six inches wide. And then we just followed. My dad drove. You, you got to tell this part because okay. this is awesome. Uh, have you yeah. seen this? Have you seen the picture yes, of this chair? I, I have. So he wouldn't let me mount the GPS. Starfire globe to his head on the Kubota tractor, <laughs> but he followed me with our field tractor, and I set up lines out there, and mm-hmm. then so then he just followed right behind me on the hitch, so they're straight. So the conservation conservation district could come in in the spring and just straight shot. Oh, so it's a six. Yeah. It's like strip tilled trees is what it is. Oh, yes. Yeah, nice. But yeah, I took a picture of him and you know posted it and kind of made fun of him. It was it like, was, yeah, wouldn't let me duct tape it to his head. Driving a two hundred horse tractor, yes. immediately yes. followed by a thirty horse tractor. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. That, that is classic. Yes, it was running hilarious. the tillage equipment, the thirty yes. horse yes. tractor. Yes, <laughs> yeah. That, that awesome. that's as extreme as we get with tillage in Spring County yes. <laughs> and our farm. Really cool. Trying this tillage thing out for the first time in 35 years. Not sure we're doing it right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Conservation yeah. utility. Yes. Yeah. And, and the, the rationale was I'd rather have grass growing in between the rows. Yeah. Of the trees. Oh, yeah. 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 But it, you got to get yeah. them going. And unfortunately, 2021 was not the year to pick. But, yeah. you know. I don't know. I think it'll just be interesting just to see what comes back in the spring. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's like any kind of perennial planting. The first year is not the judge. Right. After that, then you can go look. But it's the first just year. hard. And I think a lot of it, not necessarily like the moisture was a problem. I think the heat and the shock of how hot June was yep. that those those little seedlings were just like, I just came out of a cooler. Are you kidding me? And yeah. now it's a hundred degrees. No, thank you. I'm going to sit here and go dormant they or die. Died. Yeah. yeah. Came out of a yeah. literal reefer truck yeah. cooler into mm-hmm. a convection oven. Yeah. 45, 40 mile an hour wind, mm-hmm. hundred degrees. Yeah. Dry. Because we, I mean, we watered not right away because we were busy planting and calving and all the other things of life. So we just didn't get it done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But. Because we're calving until first week of June. 
June one because yeah. we don't really start until mid April. Yeah, we used to yep. start early, early May, early April, and we kicked it back because Mother Nature kept kicking us in the shorts with mm-hmm. blizzards, and it's like you know this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Why are we doing this? I built this shed how many years ago for equipment, and two years in a row we had it full of cows. <laughs> <laughs> That's not fun. <laughs> There's no. there's still evidence of that. Yes. All over the doors. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. But they survived. You know, there's some of them, those cows in there, they were they were in there for 10 days. And as they'd calve, we'd move them up to the barn and then kick them outside. But some of them did not calf during the storms and during the mud. And so there's seven of them. That, they didn't have any idea how bad it actually was outside. Mm-hmm. We'd shut the 30-foot overhead door, had a bale feeder in there, had my big, huge water tanks on my semi-trailers and just gravity-fed a tank. And yeah. It was like a sauna in there. They, it was, they were living the life. <laughs> it was hot. One thing about the trees, um, and I think it's – so we had a guy from Georgia, a listener from Georgia, call in the other day we to did. Millbourne Seeds, and I want to give a shout-out to him. That's absolutely awesome. Yep. But it, we should point out to listeners from across the country that in South Dakota, where we live, we actually have to try to get trees to grow. They don't grow on yes, their own. Yes, it's very, They're very hard. They're not going to be there unless you baby them for the first four, three to five years. Yeah. You know, three to five years and you're going to get through the, the grass sod and they might kind of be on their own. But uh, yeah, planting trees is a process. Of all the things that we can grow in South Dakota, yeah. trees is by far the hardest thing. Right. It for is. For me. Yep. It's just ridiculous. Well, that's the reason this is the tall grass prairie. Yeah. Yes. I mean, this is yeah, yes. it's not a forest at all. That's it's right. Grass. Oh. It grows grass, not trees. And the other thing is, is that, that 2,300 trees, and you guys are doing, that's a lot of tree planting. But think about how many half-mile-long shelter belts, right, there is around the countryside that are all dated, you know. They're all like 30 to 70 years of age, and there's not a lot of those going back in. Mm-hmm. No. And a lot more trees coming out than going in in our part of the world. You know, in this, we're about 30 miles apart, but in this whole right. stretch. Yep. It'll be interesting to see how many trees there are in 30 years on that same drive, that same 30 mile drive. It might yeah. not be many at all. I don't think so either. And I think, you know, one, it's a nuisance. We were just talking about this. How did the subject get brought up yesterday? We had a breakfast at the community center uptown and we were talking about trees yep. that are declining, right? And you've got the emerald. We could, I could talk about trees forever. It's kind of my, my niche. <laughs> the emerald ash borer thing is really going to wreak havoc on a lot of a lot of shelter belts, yes. a lot of towns, a lot of like, and I just really don't think it gets talked about enough. Um, and they won't get put back in, right? Especially shelter belts. I think towns will replace here and there in their boulevards and, you know, things like that, parks and whatnot. But ash trees, that was um, when we planted that first row of trees when we got married, that was the original deciduous tree in that planting. Yep. And um, we ended up replacing them all with maples. And now I wish I wouldn't have replaced them with maples. But um, they all just didn't make it, didn't Mm. do well. Um, But it's... I think it's um, hard for you because you come from Nebraska, the land of cedar trees. Well, and other (laughs) trees also. (laughs) Yeah, home of other things, other trees. But yes, cedar trees. They're like a noxious weed where I'm from. Um, I feel like we're like South Dakota, like the, the bar and the Blues Brothers. Like, oh, yeah, we got both kinds of beer, bud and bud. Like, you know, like, oh, we got both kinds of trees, Russian olives and cottonwoods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we're so back to what we were talking about yesterday with a neighbor. We were talking about 
the declining tree strips, whatever. And I was, I don't know, have you ever read studies that when there is a crop field surrounded by trees that it yields higher because the trees will protect one, like wind damage and things like that. It holds the soil in place and all the tree roots help keep the soil in place, but it also increases the fertility. Have you, have you seen that Jared or so no? I'm, I'm you- a, a big pat, a fan and it's hard to do here. And I've, I've, it'll take me 30 years to get it like set up right in my own place, but like a silvopasture in that, that symbiotic relationship between the, the deep water cycle and the shallow water cycle. Right. And, and all those things that you're talking about and yep. how to do both of those, because normally we talk about either forested or unforested and not talking about a balance between the two. Um, I, I believe that what is more, if we go to a coffee shop, what's more often going to get talked about is tree effect, right? Yeah. On, on yield, right? They'll look at that narrow strip. Right you next know, to and the tree. pretty good size, yep. right next to the tree. It can be. Yep. And, and keep in mind, we, we plant a shelter belt. We're, they're thick. Like we're planting trees that can get 30, 40 foot tall and we're planting them, what, 14 feet apart, mm-hmm. you know, 12 feet apart. I mean, almost overly thick, right? The idea to stop the wind right. from blowing. But we're almost planting them extremely thick in one little spot. So uh, I, would, I would fully expect there to be some advantages in the field. But what we see, right, the only thing we see the is visible. that tree effect on the yep. outside of the field. Yep. Yep. You, see the, you see the tree effect the first 40 feet mm-hmm. on each side of the yep. rows. It's the 100 feet away. That when is. all of a sudden the height of the corn right. goes up a foot or two. Right. And your yield monitor jumps a little bit. We uh, have one, one field that we rent that is that has the situation with trees around it, and it is the highest producing. It is also has good soil, so that helps too, mm-hmm. but it is the highest producing field on our farm. And I would say in casual conversation, 90% of people would look at that 100-foot effect and just think that there's an exasperated decline in the first 40-foot not give credit to the bump 100 foot right. out that yeah. would just make Focus the start the, the contrast yeah. look even worse on the first 30 40 foot and that's why you see a lot of these rows of trees over the last 10 years that have been taken out with trackos because yeah. mm-hmm. they the, the people only see the first 40 feet right and if they look at the next 40 feet after the first 40 feet then it makes the 40 foot look even worse and they go well look at it it could be it could be right. this much up here it could be peak production it's my best part of my field and now these trees just ruined this 40 foot. Yep. Mm. Oh, food for thought. Yeah. Totally. And so, and then and I've, I've seen, and what we've done a little bit is done some, you know, just grass hay plantings right alongside that, because that tree effect can also at some level have some benefit by offering shade to cool season grasses and legumes like alfalfa, you know, other, you know, introduced orchard grass, Timothy, uh, fescue, things like that, that want to have some kind of shade protection so that they stay viable and keep growing throughout the year. Unfortunately, this field of ours is, it's as far away as right. anything on our farm. If right. it was near the farm, there'd be grass around More it. More mm-hmm. yeah. And there'd be livestock out right. there every year. Yep. Sure. Yeah. But it's a logistics thing. It's a land ownership yeah. thing. And everybody's got that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we've talked about a lot of different practices that you've done, whether it was a fencing, watering project, a tree project. Why are you doing these? We like to work. <laughs> There's Jamie. a joke in our family that we work during the week, but we work really hard on Sundays. 
<laughs> it's it's Sunday. It's time to go pull weeds in the trees and mow and water. <laughs> that was a real thing with the kid. We did. We were pulling weeds thing. with the kids on Sunday this year. That's a real thing. They did not like that day. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's all I've ever known. You know, I I was riding on the armchair of my dad's tractor for when I was little forever. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't push up, push me into farming, but that's what I wanted to do. Went to college, egg business, because I knew I was coming back home. I just didn't, I didn't take the agronomy and animal science stuff, and I probably should have, but I was young and dumb. I figured it out. You and, don't need to know all those things if you know other people. Well, and, and that's part of it is you surround yourself <laughs> with experts. Yeah. Oh, you know, have yes. a team. Yep. Yeah. What you don't know, talk to somebody that does. And yeah. so this is just something, I, we really enjoy it. Uh, it's a great way to raise a family. Yeah, here in South Dakota, um, we're very fortunate to have some good soil that we can raise a crop on and graze cattle and, you know, just live the good life. Yeah. I don't know. For me, part of it is just being a caretaker of what God's given us. I have a really, you know, my faith plays a lot into everything that I do every day. And I feel like, and it's getting the older that we get. For me personally, sometimes I feel like I'm already 80, but <laughs> you act no like comment. it too. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, it's just doing, you know, having having the right reasons for doing things and doing it right and doing it well and teaching your kids um, values and hard work and all the things um, that we have to take care of what we're given and we have to not just take care of it and keep it the same. Like we've Jared, you and I've had this conversation about the word sustainable for mm-hmm. how long have we known each other? Quite a few years. Um, and it's, it's, it's more than being sustainable doing, doing the same thing over and over is sustainable, right? It's like you said, you know, when we spoke in Brookings, it's about creating the net positive. What are you, what are you bringing back? What are you creating that's a positive in your environment or on your operation? And, and that really, that's important to me personally to show our kids that we have to do better and be the example for others that you can do this, you can do the right thing and you can, of course, the economics are really important, right? You still have to pay your bills, and you can do it and do it well and make money mm-hmm. and have a, a, a nice lifestyle, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but it is, it's work. It's not putting the corn in the ground and and coming back and harvesting. It's, it's work. Um, but it's all just management and what everybody brings to the table, you know, as far as knowing the right people and how we learn the things that we're doing is asking a lot of questions, failing a lot, learning a lot, and and just bringing that back to our kids and saying, see, we totally, totally messed this up, but what did we learn from it? Sure. You know, like, so, I don't know, just passing on those values, that's that's why I do it. My, my grandfather was on the conservation board back home in Nebraska, and I really had no concept of what he did until I got on our conservation board. I've been on our conservation board for a number of years and I'm just like, Oh, he's like, he had it. He knew what was going on. Like he knew what was important and, and, and passing that on and showing your kids why it's important to be in the, be involved with these type of things. Yeah. yeah. That's what Jared and I were talking about this this morning. We, we you know, talk about values and, and how that drives us. And we've had this reoccurring theme with our guests. I think not, completely intentionally 
but that that's probably that one thing that seems to be similar with everybody is you better have a big value driven reason to be doing some of these conservation things now it's got to fit in economically like you said from a production standpoint um but you're doing the right thing for your values to feel good about them to raise your family the way that you want to raise them that's y'all darn it that's huge yep that's so important what I think you stick to your values and you know, the economics will come around cause you'll make, you'll figure out sure. how to make it work. And yep. I think part of the reason that we're, I could say I'm content with how things look this year is because we know that the practices we've been using for the past 30 years, there's a reason that we're going to have a crop. Sure. Because you talk to the uh, more experienced generation and they say, yeah, this is pretty dry. We haven't seen this since like 76 Yep. And stuff burned up then. Yep. Right. And yep. in our part of the world, it actually looks okay this year. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have 40 years ago. Right. It's because of those soil health practices. In the 20 years between 76 and 96, there was probably, you know, eight to 10 crop growing years that would have looked worse, you know, as far as a reflection of green versus brown than what it looks like today. And you've done it with less moisture than you had in any of those 20 years, right? I yeah, mean, this is the driest we've been in decades. Since 76, yeah. 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 And the heat. And that was, you know, like we talked about earlier, it just went a heat shock in June through July, and it finally kind of let up here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, really, after after we have our basic needs met, right, after we have enough food and some clothing and uh, a warm place to be at night, uh, we're all just kind of wandering around trying to put things in their proper place, basically. Um and, and you look at, and I can see it, you know, Jamie and Brian, when, I, when you drive up to your place, things look in order, right? And we talked about it before. There's, there's going to be trees about where they should be trees, right? Is for protection, for aesthetics, and for openness at the same time. There's going to be grass and, and waterways where they're supposed to be, right? Where there needs to be drainage to move things out. There's going to be crop fields where the, the pitch of the land and the productivity is proper, and there's going to be pasture, and fenced in cattle where there's supposed to be cattle. And I think that's, you know, you never quite always have it right. But I appreciate how much I've learned from you guys and watched you as you've tried to, over time, put things in their proper place. And then when the opportunities are given to you or there's a, a neighbor or a landlord that says, you know, hope that happens more and more often down the road where someone says, I love how you put things in order. <laughs> Oh, Will you help so me do nice. this? That's cool. That's so nice, Jared. <laughs> I'm fortunate that my wife is very OCD. <laughs> and so Jared everything has a place. <laughs> and she sees things that, you know, we're trying to improve over the years. And she's more the big picture thinker, and I have to execute. And so she'll say, I say, do this. Yeah. I want this. He has to figure out how to. And then in my mind, I'm going through the eight. Steps to get right. to what she wants, and in her mind, it's two steps. Yeah. So it's how how do you make that work? Yeah. You know, everything's got to line up somehow. Yeah. But yeah, we're. That's why it took sixteen years to get trees planted. <laughs> There's a lot of steps in his mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or I just didn't listen. <laughs> it's you know we're always trying to improve, and that's you know we're never going to be content with what we're doing. There's always upgrades. You know, we're. I'm always tinkering with things out in the crop fields and or changing thing up something up with how we're doing the cattle. 
and as unfortunately social media you see what other people are doing and you kind of go hmm I wonder if I should try that right. but then you sit there and sit down and think how it would play out boy that'd be more work how much time do I have yeah you know I, I see what you know Jason Mock and Stock Cropper and Iowa are doing it it's sure. just kind of like boy that looks like fun, but <laughs> it does. Then you got to figure out, okay, where am I going to get these animals processed? Right. And you know, I just called into the locker here a few weeks ago for a date. They're booked out till April fourteenth. It's like, okay, yeah, it's it. The the backup is a real thing. Yeah, yeah. Here Still. in the Roca, Royal, yeah. Royal part of the world, it's mm-hmm. you know, it used to not be a big thing. Yeah, we're yeah. still dealing with it. Well, we're going to do have a, have a chicken butchering bee, but I don't think that's happening, is it? Who was supposed to be in charge of well, that? Well, Stuart was supposed to get the chickens. I texted him like four times and I don't think ever happened. nothing happened. We were at a camping trip. Uh, there's four of us couples that get together kind of annually on a camping trip. Uh, Johnson's including that and my wife and I and, and two other couples. And we talked about we need to have the, and this is where I was going to go to next about raising kids anyway, so it kind of fits in. <laughs> But we talked about there's certain basic things. I think it was Stuart was like, yes. I think my kids don't even know how to butcher chicken. I mean, you know what I mean? What would they do if they'd just be standing there looking at a chicken? They'd be starving and looking at a chicken, not know how to butcher it, right? Like, everybody should know how to butcher a chicken. It's like, well, who's going to teach them, Stuart? Like, our great-grandparents aren't around anymore to do that <laughs> like they taught us. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure it's our responsibility now. So we were gonna, that was going to be one of the things. We are going to do pig butchering. That's on. We are? We have the pigs, yeah. I we didn't sign up for that. Oh, yeah. That was the next step. And then <laughs> you're going to do canning next summer. Oh, right? yeah. I can do that. Okay. Yeah. There's no blood involved with that. <laughs> <laughs> totally sanitary. So we'll do pig, pig butchering sometime between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Okay. Super. So we'll just go, we'll skip the chickens and go right on to bigger animals. There's only, if you look at really commercialized, very simplistic, scaled farming, right? 20,000 acres, corn, soybean rotation, really simplistic, 100,000, you know, 30,000 to 100,000 bushel grain bins only. There's just not that much of a place for kids to do stuff. No, when, it, when you get really, really, really efficient like they, they talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a, there's a small window where they can go pick rocks, right? That may be about it. But they'll probably have commercial rock pickers, which are, have too much to, to do. When you talk about just the diversification of crop farming, you know, we talk about bale and straw and things like that, that I know that, you know, get a little bit more involved in, uh, but also the livestock and the trees that's really offered a lot of opportunities for your kids to grow and be more involved hands-on. Right. And I still feel like there's not enough for them to do. Yeah. There's you're not. probably right. But there's not. That's because you're, you're in, you've been in the house. Our, our youngest is finally in kindergarten. So Jamie's like hit the, Oh, freedom. Yeah. <laughs> but not really. But yeah, you know, we got um we got some chickens. I don't even remember when we got our first chickens. Just as pets. Like we got like four six, chickens. Six, seven years ago. Leo was like three. Yeah, or two. I can't remember. Something like that. Anyways, just as a fun, like, here, play with something. He turned them into his pet. Yeah. Like we got pictures of him riding his bike and he's got him sitting on the handlebars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The first auto auto was the first one and steer. Like auto steer like your tractor. Ah, yeah. Farm kid. Yeah. I love it. Anyways, yeah. So in the trees, that's but they they're kids. They gripe about all of it. I mean, they don't willingly go, Yes, let's go scoop bunks out or let's although Ella this year, the fifteen year old was 
She's always very conscious of like what other kids are doing on their farms um, because we have a lot of feedlot families in our in our school district. And yep. so there's a lot of, I mean, big operations that are constantly working cattle and moving cattle in and out and those type of things. And I'm like, well, ask your dad, run the green cart during wheat harvest. And she did. And she's raked hay and baled hay for Brian before. And just a lot of it is just a time availability if they're around. They're, of course, sports kids, so they have things and to do. But I, we're trying. We try to find as much as we can for well, them to do safely. And it goes back to how you're talking about values. I mean, you, you look at some of these major grain farms now, and and you then you look at today's workforce and the the young kids that are coming back, they haven't had a lot of those hard work days, family values that, you know, we, maybe we grew up in or our parents, you know, working cattle, throwing square bales in a hundred degree heat, you know, yeah. that's, they don't, haven't had those opportunities, let's say, to sure. kind of develop some, build character, we'll call yeah, it. Yeah, no opportunities to butcher right. hogs. Yes. Right. <laughs> Jared's going to provide our children an opportunity. Right. Thanks, Uncle Jared. Kids, <laughs> all grab on. And I'll hold the knife with you. <laughs> go right in here and then that. But it it's true. There's not, you really have to create the opportunity. Yeah. Um, to teach your kids those things, even it's not butchering animals. It's yeah. even even freezing corn. They were complaining. I'm like, oh my gosh, I remember freezing corn with my grandma and it was 100 degrees out. There was no air conditioning, right? There was, you did it outside because that way the house didn't get so hot. You know, right. I'm like, you have, That's true. and you have yeah. Ziploc bags. We used to have the bags that had the twist ties. Like, <laughs> it wasn't even Ziploc bags 30 years ago. <laughs> right. I, spoiled those are things that were a part of necessity growing up that we now consciously need to you know make it a priority to do them to be honest because canned corn at the grocery store is still 69 cents a can which probably hasn't changed a lot in 25 years and uh but it still tastes like canned well it still, still does but, it, but you like can survive on it <laughs> yes right and you can just hit the easy button and pick it off and so you have to almost kind of keep reminding yourself to do those things and and i, I see some of the things that we we're talking about in some of these practices and some of it you might say yeah is it more time does it take more time is it but it's, it's family time right or it's it's things that you can manifest values on your kids uh, as mm-hmm. far as the importance of this and you can have them be, a, I remember the trees that I took care of when I was growing up, right? I still remember, I know which trees were the ones that I watered and weeded growing up and I'll see them for the rest of my life, right? Uh, there's something to that. Yep. You completely wrapped up how we started this with talking about values. Those are the reasons you do them, even though they may be unintentional and heck your, your corn example, it may not always make it the most perfect sense from a financial perspective to do it. Short term. But exactly, short term. But long term, by golly, you're getting the gain that you want on everything else. Yeah, we have to make a point of not pushing the easy button. Yes. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed, I always enjoy our conversations. I want to thank you both so much for coming down and being a part of this. And, uh, we will. I think we should have just done. You should have done one of those mic drops when you said when you said <laughs> we have to make a point not to push the easy. Button. That wasn't good. We should have just ended it. We could have done. That, right? 
Yeah, Shut up. We can. We'll edit this back. It took a while. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the last words on the podcast. Thank you, Brian and Jamie, for joining yeah, us today. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. We very much appreciate it. Thanks a lot.